I'd like tonight is to lead you into a mystery. You see, a mystery is not something we can grasp. It's not a reality that we can hold on to intellectually. It's a reality that's given to us. A reality that we experience, but can't always understand. See, Jesus, who is the Word who became flesh, is teaching us in Lash and in Faith and Light that the flesh becomes Word. The Word became flesh, so that the flesh becomes Word, becomes revelation. It's about body, our bodies. There's a whole mystery of the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, turned towards God, and the Word was God. <laughs> and the Word became flesh. Not the Word became a human being, or a, the Word became flesh. Lash and faith and light are founded on the reality of broken bodies, fragile bodies, vulnerable bodies. But not, first of all, founded on the Word, but on the flesh that becomes Word. That the flesh speaks, the flesh announces. All of us, we know that how a little baby is born, and the reality that we all live or hope to live or have lived is that incredible relationship between mother and child and father and child. Where the mother, through her tenderness, through the tone of the voice, through touch, is revealing to the child, I love you. And you are important. And the child is revealing to the mother communion, tenderness, and to the father. That's how we all begin. And in a way, this is the reality of Lash and of faith and light. You see, many people with disabilities have led a painful life. Just as parents of people with disabilities have suffered an immense amount when they discovered that their child will not speak, or will not be able to walk, or will not be able to go to school like other people. There's a terrible wound in the heart of mom and dad. And that wound in the heart of mom and dad is in some mysterious way transmitted to the child. If I'm not loved, if I'm not wanted, then I'm not lovable and no good. We in Lash, as in faith and light, our vocation, our gift, is to welcome those who in some way 
have been a disappointment to their parents, a disappointment to family, and a source of concern for many people. And the whole of our lives at Lash, as in faith and light, is to say, I love you. We're not, first of all, there to do things for people. We're there to reveal. You see, to love someone is not, first of all, to do things. It's not just an emotional reality. It is to reveal. Love is to reveal. And what do we reveal? You are precious. You're important. And it's a gift for us to be with you. I would say that the essential element of the pedagogy of Lash is just to say, I'm happy to live with you. Generosity is a great, a great gift for people to be generous. And so many people are filled with generosity. Generosity is when one has the capacity to do things, or when they have more, to bend down, to give, to help. And that is a wonderful human quality, to be generous. But essentially what we're discovering in Lash is that this generosity must lead to a meeting. When one is generous, one has power. One has a certain superiority. We give to whom we want and when we want and how we want. But then if generosity leads to a meeting, we become vulnerable. Because I've met your eyes, I've seen the tears in your eyes, I've touched your wounded heart. Maybe I've heard your anger or heard your violence or touched your violence and your depression, your feeling that no good. And we have met. And when we meet somebody who is vulnerable and in pain, we ourselves become vulnerable. It's a cry that comes from many people with disability, which is a cry for friendship. You love me. We have been led, Lash and Faith and Light, into the mystery of the Gospels. We didn't seek things like that, but we have been led. You see, Jesus wants to lead us all into the mystery. And to where have we been led? To those words of St. Paul, where St. Paul says that God has chosen what is foolish in this world, chosen the weak to confound the strong and the so-called intelligent. That God has chosen what are most, those who are most despised. God has chosen those that are not 
again we heard in the reading about the weakness. So, it's important that we reflect on those words. What is this choice of God? Does that mean God has not chosen others? Or that we're only loved if we are particularly vulnerable and weak? No, it's not that. You see, the people that we welcome and the experience we have, and I'd like to share with you the very first experience I had with people who are fragile. I was teaching philosophy in Toronto, and my mentor or my spiritual father, a Dominican, Thomas Philippe, was then chaplain of a small institution where there were some 30 men, many who had been in psychiatric hospitals or asylums. And Father Thomas suggested to me, come, come and meet these people. He said, to understand human nature, to understand a society, you must speak to those who have been pushed aside and marginalized. Okay, I said I would come. But I was a little bit anxious. You know, what, how would we communicate if people don't talk? And even if they do talk, what will we talk about? And I, I could teach them a little bit about how to drive an aircraft carrier, my last ship, but I could tell them a little bit about Aristotle. I did my doctorate in Aristotle. So there's a sort of anxiety. But I was amazed because all my anxiousness disappeared as each one of these men in some way or another expressed through their body the flesh becoming a word. But each one was saying, do you love me? Am I important for you? Will you be my friend? Will you come back and see us? I saw there this immense cry for relationship. My students in philosophy wanted a bit the things of my head, which is not too much. They wanted the things of my head that they get through the exams and then get a job and have money and go into this society, which is a very competitive society, as you know. But this was different. My students weren't seeking my heart. They were seeking my head. Maybe now we're beginning to enter into this reality. You see, Jesus speaks of, in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, 22 Matthew or 14 Luke, he talks about a wedding feast. The king has prepared huge meal for a wedding feast. And he sends out the servants and say, all is prepared, come. I'm too busy. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. 
I've things to do. My daughter's getting married, I've bought land, or I've pair, bought a pair of oxen, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, and each one made excuses. You can imagine the pain of the, of the king or the master. And this wedding feast is a sign of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. And those who are in power, well inserted in society, but too busy. They're taken up with short-term or long-term projects. So the king, and we read this in Luke, sends out the servants into the highways and byways, bring in the poor, the lame, the disabled, and the blind. They came rushing in because they were yearning for community. They were yearning for relationship. It's not just to have a good meal. It's something much deeper. You see, meals are for relationship. So the, the clever, the strong. So when Jesus, or when Paul talks about God has chosen the weak because the weak are crying out for relationship. And the mystery of God is that God is relationship. Just to tell you rather a beautiful little story, it happens in a parish in France, in Paris. And it's a little boy of 11 with an intellectual disability. And it's his first communion. And after the liturgy, the Eucharist, there's a sort of family celebration, reception. And the uncle, who is also the godfather of the little boy, goes up to the mother and says, wasn't it a beautiful liturgy? The only thing that's sad is that he didn't understand anything. The little boy heard and he said, with tears in his eyes, don't worry, mommy. Jesus loves me as I am. Jesus loves me as I am. Can we dare say that? Or will our reaction be, Jesus loves me, if I pray a bit more, if I'm kinder with my wife or my husband or with the children? That consciousness that that little boy had. Don't worry, mommy. Jesus loves me as I am. In our community, it's very striking when we pray together, when we share together. Nobody will ever talk about Christ. They'll never talk about the Savior. They'll talk about Jesus. Is a sort of first name, Jesus. Jesus is my friend, and I'm loved by Jesus, and I love Jesus. You see, the whole mystery of God is a mystery of relationship. And so somewhere, that desire we had of what we lived as little children, this 
love which we lived with mum when she touched us, sang to us, spoke soothingly, touched us with tenderness and with love. The beginning, which was beautiful. But then things happen. The child then has to feel that he or she has to prove someone, to seek the admiration of parents, that the parents wants the child to be a success. And so the child can move from a desire for communion to the need to prove. And so then we discover that maybe the meaning to our lives is to be a success, to be recognized at school or after school in work, be a success. This is particularly prevalent in a society where the fundamental culture is a culture of competition. We have to succeed. We have to prove. We need to prove that we are someone because we're not always sure that we are someone. We have to prove that we are, are someone because not, we are not sure that we are someone. We have to prove and be a success and therefore to be admired. The experience we have in Laos is that those people who are extremely vulnerable are leading us. I think many of us, we came to Lash, or as Jerry said, I welcomed two people from an institution. This goes back over 40 years ago. And somewhere there was something within me which was generosity, a desire to do good, to react to the situation which was during the 60s of many institutions where people with disabilities were locked up or where they were locked up in their homes or in institutions. I believe that somewhere at the beginning of Lash, there was a desire to do something good. Gradually, as we've lived together, and here we touch the aspect of mystery, which maybe you will not be able to really believe unless you yourself have experienced it. That in living with Raphael and Philippe and others, I have changed. Just to mention this question of change in my own community, and we have a number of communities in an area of France, not far from Paris. And we had, at a particular moment, 19 future priests in the various communities that are nearby. And they asked to meet me at the end of their months that they had spent time with us. And I said to them, I don't want to talk to you, I want to listen. 
what, what have you lived? And each one said in some way or another, using maybe different words, I feel transformed. The months I had in Lash, I feel transformed. I said, do you realize what you're saying? You have had an experience of God. That's why you're hoping to enter and to become a priest. And you're saying that spending a month in lunch, maybe giving a bath, eating at the same table, working together, helping those who are more fragile in some way or another, you say that you have been transformed? What does that mean? What is that experience that you have lived? And what is the meaning of transformation? I think we came down to the realization that these men were moving or had moved for a short while from the head to the heart. You see, we can learn theology. We can do studies. We can know things that can enrich us and help us. Maybe later we can teach. But relationship is something very different. Relationship, as we enter into a relationship, as we move from generosity to a meeting where your heart touches my heart, then in some way we're caught. We become vulnerable, vulnerable one to another because your pain becomes my pain. Your concerns become my concerns as we enter into a meeting which gradually can be the beginning of a friendship, we begin to know each other's name. The other person is no longer a person with disabilities. It's just Eric or Nancy. It's a person with a heart, a wounded heart. And I have my heart. I realize also that my heart is a wounded heart. So we, we begin to need each other. I remember a young nurse who came to share with me one day, told me the story in the home or the place where she was working, which was with old people. And she told me that there was an old person who was a bit crotchety, that arrives sometimes. And she said, none of the the other nurses want to get close to her because this person, this old lady, was always dissatisfied. The food was cold, the food wasn't good, uh, the this or that, everything was wrong. So the nurses weren't too keen to get close because they know they would, always, they would get blasted. But this young nurse said to me, I decided to become her friend. So she went in and she said, tell me about your children, tell me about your marriage. 
Tell me about your life. Tell me. Tell me. And the rather crotchety old lady began little by little to tell her story. And so a bonding was created. And the old lady began to change. Because she had somebody who was becoming a friend. Somebody who was loving her. And she was beginning to love this young nurse. So then we spoke, and I said, well, maybe it's going to be a little difficult for you at a particular time, because you'll have to leave. Maybe you'll leave to get married or leave to... So I suggested that, you know, the day you leave, you tell the old lady, you know, in two months' time, I'll have to leave. But I'll write to you, and I'll ring you up. And maybe if I come back to this area, I'll come and visit you. Bonding. Bonding where we are touched, where a friendship is born. We are very touched by the mystery of Jesus who is hidden in vulnerability. Because our people are very vulnerable. If they feel pushed aside or can rise up from the depths of a woundedness, angers, and depression, they are vulnerable. But what we are discovering is that in their vulnerability, Jesus is present. And as we approach them, we ourselves are led into change, moving from ideas to the heart, to relationship, to becoming vulnerable ourselves, gradually discovering the wisdom of relationship. You see, all of us, we're a little bit frightened of relationships. We've been wounded, maybe, in relationships, we can be frightened of relationships, of sucked into a relationship which we don't want, frightened of getting too close, maybe frightened also of being too far. So we have created barriers, or what one can talk, protective walls. Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we don't know how to forgive. Maybe we've lost the capacity to communicate. We don't know how to communicate. It's easier to run away and sit behind television or things of this order than to communicate and to talk. To reveal a bit myself to yourself and yourself to me. You see, as we enter into relationships we lose control because you can never control a relationship. The whole reality of relationship is to become vulnerable, to reveal to you my poverty and my needs because I need you. You need me. So we enter into this relationship. And as we enter into relationships, we touch also 
our fear and our violence. I can tell you, having lived many years with people with disabilities and on a day-to-day -day basis, I've touched my own violence. I'm somebody maybe who's quite passionate in my way, and if we're passionate also, we can be hurt, and becoming hurt, we can become violent. That doesn't mean to say that my violence has meant that I've hurt someone physically. I've seen violence coming up within me. Because we're all violent people. We keep people away, but we pretend. I remember in my own community, when I was leader, we would assemble all the men, and we would talk about violence, the moments in our lives when it's not just firmness, but violence. So I have touched what is the most beautiful within me, but I've touched also the violences, the fears, getting too close. So I've learned a lot about relationship. I've seen also that it can be good for people to share with a, a somebody, a therapist or other, our difficulties in relationship, our difficulties in forgiving. So I've learned a lot. I've learned about the beauty of relationship. I've learned that we are transformed little by little as we enter into relationship with the weak. You know, Jesus is extraordinary. I encourage you to meet him. Jesus, at one moment, the disciples are on their way to Capernaum, and Jesus turns to them and says, what were you talking about? And they were talking about who was the best amongst them, and who was the most important, who was the one most loved by Jesus, all that sort of stuff. And Jesus, taking a little child, says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like this little child. And he said, whoever welcomes a child like this one welcomes me. And who, who welcomes me welcomes the Father. Would that be true? That if we welcome a wounded child, fragile, broken, we're welcoming Jesus, welcoming the Father, so if we have discovered the presence of Jesus in vulnerable people, St. Paul in the reading we had was talking about discovering the presence of God in his own vulnerability. What I personally am discovering is more and more the vulnerability of Jesus. I would say the anguish of Jesus during his life. I'm beginning to see how deeply anguished Jesus is, how deeply vulnerable Jesus is.
a very wounded heart. You see, the problem of Jesus is that he loves people. And he loves them with an intensity that he wants to give himself. And so, when Jesus is welcome, life flows. That's why you find in the seventh chapter of St. John that in the middle of the Feast of the Tents, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. Because Jesus is sort of a, a well who has come to liberate us, to transform us, to change our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, to help us enter this process of liberation. It's a long process of liberation. To open up our hearts. No longer to be controlled by fear or by anguish, but to open our hearts touching our own brokenness. He came to heal our broken hearts and our fears and so many of the reality, which means that we are frightened of people and we are frightened of the different. We dare not open up our hearts and our vulnerability because we're frightened of being, of being hurt. You see, when you love someone, and we've all had that experience of loving someone, and if that person rejects us, doesn't want us, it's very hurtful. There's a form of anguish which comes up within us. And this was Jesus, a vulnerable Jesus. I'm always touched by text of the book of the Apocalypse of the Revelations. Find this in the third chapter where the Lord says, I stand and knock at the door. If someone hears me and opens the door, I will enter to eat with that person that person close to me and I close to that person. Jesus, Jesus knocks at the door. But often we don't hear because we've got too many projects or things in our head and too many fears, too many busyness. We don't hear. But if we do hear, maybe we don't want to open the door. And the incredible thing is that Jesus is waiting outside. Just waiting. He doesn't kick the door open. See, this is something about the incredible delicacy and tenderness of Jesus, the deep respect deep respect he has for our freedom. Because there can be no love without freedom. We can only love 
freely and receive love freely. For Jesus waits, knocks at the door. But then if we do open the door, something happens. And that text is very significant. You see, the sign of friendship is that we eat together. Aristotle, my great-grandfather intellectually, says if you want to become a friend of someone, you should eat a sack of salt together. Eat a sack of salt, that means lots of meals. Friendship is eating together. The sign of friendship is eating together. We have a, this time together where we eat. Then we have the mystery of the Eucharist. To be together, to eat together. So Jesus is knocking at the door, saying, I want to be your friend. Can I come in? But to become a friend of Jesus means that I have to leave certain of my own desires to open up my heart so that I can become a friend of Jesus and Jesus a friend of me. So little by little we can say it's no longer I that live but Jesus in me. He's my friend. Don't worry, mummy. Jesus loves me as I am. So this incredible invitation. And I say the vulnerable Jesus, because he came to give life. You have probably heard, as I have heard, by some people who say, God cannot exist, there's too much pain in the world. If God is all-powerful, either he just doesn't care about us, or finally, he doesn't want to do anything. So he can't exist. You can hear people say things like this. You see, they don't know about the vulnerable God. The all-powerful who becomes powerless. You see, if somebody has a toothache, don't sit with that person and say, I'll pray for you. Take him to a dentist. If somebody is hungry, don't think that suddenly bread will fall from Give food. So if there's so much pain in this world, it's not that God is disinterested. The way God works is saying, will you give bread to the hungry? Will you welcome those who are fragile? Will you succor those who are abandoned? Will you be present to those old people who have Alzheimer's? Will you be close to those who are hurt? Because God will be saying, I want to work through you. And if I can become your friend, we shall work together to bring peace to the world. So that vulnerable Jesus is there. 
knocking at the door of our hearts. There's an incredible text of Paul that you can find in the first letter of Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where Paul says that those parts of the body which are the least presentable, which we hide away, and which are the weakest, are indispensable to the church, the body. Those parts of the body which are the least presentable and are the weakest, unnecessary, indispensable to the church. I ask you to reflect on those words. And he goes on and says, and they are called to be honored, honored. I have sometimes heard people talk about the preferential option for the poor. To tell you the truth, I don't like that expression. I believe that the church is constituted by the presence of the poor, who are crying out for relationship. Because they're crying out for relationship, they're awakening hearts to enter into compassion. And to say, not to say, God loves you, but I love you. And I want to be committed to you in the name of Jesus. We can't all be committed in all situations. But each one of us, somewhere in our lives, we can become the friend of somebody crying out for friendship person with disabilities, old people who have Alzheimer's, people who are crying out from the place of anguish and loneliness and become their friend. We can't give a lot of our time because each one of us, we have our busyness and our short-term projects. But somewhere, each one of us, and found a friend and somebody who is deeply wounded, deeply in need. And we will find little by little the wisdom of relationship. And then we'll discover the wisdom of this relationship with Jesus who's calling each one of us to become his friend. So the vulnerable people have brought us closer to our own vulnerability. But they're also bringing us to discover more and more the vulnerability of Jesus, the wounded heart of Christ, who is seeking also to come and live in each one of us.